check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect, refine, and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger. Hello, hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, and you are listening to episode 70 of Triple R Teaching. We are working our way through our phonics series, and today we're going to talk about the phonics skills we need to teach, a recommended order, and how those might fit into different grade levels. So I want to start with a disclaimer, as I always do, there is no perfect scope and sequence. This is how I approach it, but there's plenty of room for flexibility. One thing we can all agree on is that we start in kindergarten with letter sounds. Now there's a big debate over whether we teach letter names with letter sounds or just letter sounds. I'm definitely in the names and sounds camp, but I won't go into that too much in this podcast episode because it probably gets its own episode in the future. Some tips for beginning phonics instruction with letter sounds is to make sure that you include high utility sounds at the beginning along with a common short vowel so that words can be built and read as soon as possible. So in other words, we're not gonna teach the sound of X at the beginning. We're gonna teach things like the sound of S and M and so on, especially those letters that you can sustain. mm. But our number one goal is to make sure we choose a collection of letters and sounds that children can use to read words. So in my scope and sequence, I actually have the letter J towards the beginning, but that's because I use it in our first decodable book. So because of that, I needed to put it towards the beginning, even though it's not as high utility of a sound. My goal is to get them to read stories. And that was the letter I needed to tell a story at the very beginning. As you're teaching students these short vowel sounds and consonant sounds, and you're helping them put them together to read VC words like am or in and CVC words like cat and bit, you also could consider including common consonant digraphs in your instruction. That's actually how I do it. I sprinkle those about halfway through. We start sprinkling ending CK, SH, TH, CH, and WH. Some people wait to teach those until they've taught all the consonant sounds, and that's perfectly fine, but this is just one thing to consider. It allows them to read more words, and you can tell better stories too. After teaching letter sounds and how to blend them together to read VC and CVC words, I would go ahead and teach the floss rule. Now, this is something that's very common in Orton-Gillingham circles. The idea is that when you have a single syllable short vowel word, you're going to double the final letter if it's the s, z, f, or l sound. For example, the word off, off, it's a single syllable word. We have a short vowel O and we have the F at the end. We're going to double the F. You can decide if your students are ready to learn the rule or if that just feels way too much, but you can certainly teach them to read those words. It's very simple. It will open up more words they can read and it's just a nice place to squeeze that in. Something else I think we easily forget to do is to recognize that at this point, even in kindergarten, students can read two syllable words if those two syllables are made up of individual syllables that they can read. So for example, the word catnip, a child could read that word because they can read cat and they can read nip. 
or the word bathtub. If you've taught digraphs, they can read that. That's why in my ultimate collection of phonics word lists, I include very simple compound words that students even in kindergarten can read once you've taught them to read CVC words and basic digraphs. Moving on, most programs will teach blends. Some put it off a little bit later, but most, that's what comes next. So blends are when you have two, sometimes three consonants that each have their own individual sound, but they sort of blend together. Now, this is another hot topic. Many people think there's no reason to teach blends and that it's a confusing name because it sounds like blending. We're taking a quick break to introduce my popular membership for pre-K through third grade educators, the Measured Mom Plus. When you join, you'll get instant access to thousands of high-quality math and literacy printables with new additions each month. We've got decodable passages, decodable books, and countless phonics games and centers. The membership really is your one-stop shop for systematic, explicit phonics instruction, and so much more. One of our members, Mara, had this to say, I love the ease of the website. Everything is easy to find. I love the activities I can easily make for centers. Everything is easy to find, make, and use. To learn more, visit themeasuredmom.com forward slash membership. I personally think that helping students notice blends, read words with blends, and spell words with blends is good practice. So I like to think of them as three groups, L blends, R blends, and S blends. And then I would move into ending blends, which are a little trickier, but also really good to focus on. One thing I want to note If you are doing phoneme grapheme mapping, which I hope you are, which is when you dictate a word and then have students separate the words into sounds and spell each sound, I would encourage you to make sure that you include a blend as two sounds. In the Orton-Gillingham program that I'm following, they actually have one blank for a blend, but then they separate it with two smaller blanks underneath. Personally, I think that's confusing. I think it would be better to have a single line for each part of the blend. So for example, in the word frog, you would have four lines for f, er, ah, So also when you have letter tiles, make sure that blends do not have their own letter tile. I would personally separate them. So you wouldn't have a tile that says FL. You would have an F tile and an L tile. And that's because when they're switching things around in the word, you only need to take out one letter of a blend to change it, right? So for the word slip, if you want to change it to snip, you would just slide out the L and put in the N. So consider that as you're teaching blends. Following this, I like to teach the NG and NK endings. So technically, NG ng is a digraph and NK ng is a blend. It's a little bit confusing, um, but it can be helpful to teach those as word families. That's the way Orton-Gillingham usually approaches it. So you could teach ing, ang, ong, and so on. I don't think you need to teach them as word families, but that's one thing to consider. And then we have some tricky long vowel ending blend word families, which are in very different places depending on your phonics scope and sequence. I think it's okay to teach them here. So these would be the endings like ild, old, eind, ult, ost. They look like the vowel should be short, but it's actually long. 
And then, believe it or not, I do think you can teach the concept of open and closed syllables in kindergarten. There are a lot of really great resources out there with an open and closed door. I'm sure there's plenty of free YouTube videos you can watch to teach your students of this concept. But just to understand that when you have a vowel at the end of a syllable, it usually makes the long vowel sound. It can also make the schwa sound. We're not going to talk about that right now. But um, yeah, definitely, I think it's a good idea because when they get to reading multisyllable words, that's something that's going to come in handy. Now, in my scope and sequence, this is where kindergarten ends. But that doesn't mean I think that every kindergartner should stop at this point. So I have a little boy who's a pretty accelerated reader. He's reading chapter books, um, and he is in kindergarten, middle, middle way through. So I would not want his teacher to say, okay, well, we've taught open and closed, and now we're done because that's kindergarten, right? I would hope that the teacher would group students by phonics knowledge and then put them wherever that tends to be. So if his teacher were doing that, she could put him in a much more advanced group, even though she's teaching kindergarten. In my scope and sequence, we're moving now into level two, which is actually first grade. And that's when, if you'd like, you can start to teach syllable division strategies. Now this gets confusing. I am not 100% sold on syllable division strategy teaching just because it gets very complicated and can take a lot of time. So I'm not going to give a hard and fast yes or no right now, but if you would teach it, this would be the time to teach it. And then you'll also want to teach them about common suffixes like ed ends a word and that there are different sounds for ed. Next, I would teach CVCE words. So those are sometimes called magic e words. I used to call them silent E words. I wouldn't do that anymore because um, silent E is in many different words. But here we're talking about the E that changes the sound of the vowel, right? So in the word rake, the E at the end of the word changes the sound of the A. Um, a better example probably would be the word same, right? So instead of Sam, we have same. Rake is a little tricky because if it's a short vowel word, it ends with CK. But you get the idea. There is debate in the science of reading community whether or not students need to learn about syllable types. So there are six or seven syllable types depending on how you divide them up. And personally, I'm a syllable type fan. I don't think it's all that complicated and I don't think it has to take a lot of time. Understanding syllable types can help students as they approach multi-syllable words. So with that understanding, I would recommend at this time actually teaching your students to read multi-syllable words that include the CVCE pattern. So for example, if they've learned all the phonics skills you've taught so far, they can read a word like classmate. The first part has the floss rule. The second part has the CVCE syllable type. Moving on, you could teach another suffix, ing, less common digraphs and trigraphs, right? Like wr, kn, ph, and so on. And then we're going to get into common vowel teams. Now I've seen different approaches for this. I've actually seen a program that actually recommends teaching the sound and then all the spellings all at once, or maybe a few in kindergarten and adding more in first grade and adding more in second grade. Personally, I like the idea of dripping them out more slowly so we can work toward mastery, but I don't want to say there's a right or wrong here because I don't believe that there is. If you have a very skilled teacher, you could do it the other way. Common vowel teams, though, that I recommend starting with would be EE and EA as in EAT. A-I, A-Y, O-A, and so on. Um, if you check out the links in the show notes, you'll be able to find a link to my full scope and sequence where I lay it all out. Now, this probably won't surprise you, but I think that after you've taught common vowel teams, you want to teach the vowel team syllable type. So once kids know a lot of these common teams, they can read multi-syllable words like hayseed, firewood, raindrop. And again, in my ultimate collection of phonics word lists, I've got all these words for you right in order. So the nice thing about the guide is if you follow my scope and sequence, 
the words that are listed in the guide can only be read, technically, if students have mastered the previous skills. So there's not a bunch of mix-up. If you actually choose to follow my scope and sequence, the guide is the perfect supplement for you. Moving on, you can focus on teaching the spelling of the k ending of words, whether it's K, C-K, or K-E. And then we've got our controlled vowels. And this is really the bugaboo, I think. It's all over the place. Some people teach it right after CVC words. And some people teach it more in the middle and some people teach it way here. This one was a real struggle for me is to figure out where to put it. But in the end, I went with the Orton-Gillingham approach. I don't think it's wrong to teach it earlier. This is just how I've chosen to go, but there's plenty of options. When we're teaching our controlled vowels, we want to teach students the spellings of words with the er, r, and or sound. And then, of course, you want to go on and teach the R-controlled vowels syllable types. Now, in my scope and sequence, we're coming to the end of first grade. The next section moves into second. That is not to say, again, that plenty of first graders aren't already moving on to this, right? Depends on where they land when you assess them at the beginning of the year or mid-year or whatever. So plenty of kids in first grade will be moving on to what I call level three. So these would be diphthongs and complex vowels. The diphthongs are O-I and O-Y, so the oi sound, because your mouth changes as you turn into the next vowel. So oi, you can feel the shape of your mouth change, and then you've got ow, ow, you can feel the change in your mouth. Uh, this is tricky. I've often included aw as a diphthong. Technically, it's really not, because your mouth doesn't really change. I just find it really hard to find a place for it. So this is where I teach aw. I call it a complex vowel. That's just kind of a tricky one. And then, of course, there's a diphthong syllable type. Some people don't separate vowel team and diphthong syllable types. I chose to do that in my scope and sequence because that's how Orton-Gillingham approaches it, but you could just lump diphthongs in with vowel team syllable types if you want to keep it extra simple. At this point, you could teach more syllable division principles if you wanted. And then I want to talk about consonant L-E. So words like apple, bridle, fiddle. So that would be this would be the place to teach that ending. And then it's also the consonant an L-E syllable type, but if your word ends with a consonant L-E ending, it's already multisyllable, so there's not a lot of difference here. Then we could teach words that end with Y as long E, like crispy, giddy, stubby. Of course, you could teach this much earlier as well. It's just where I put it in my scope and sequence. Then we've got soft and hard C and G, which is a little complicated um, spelling-wise, but that's where I put that here. Then we have some less common vowel teams and words with schwa. Now, you probably should have a lesson about schwa way back when you had your students learn to read multisyllable words with open and closed syllables. Because in so many words, the unaccented vowel softens into a schwa. Actually, schwa is the most common vowel sound that there is, believe it or not. And even my little kindergartner, he is now he's an advanced reader and speller, but um, he has learned to identify the schwa in a word in print. So for example, in the word bacon, once he's divided into syllables, he knows right away that the O represents the schwa because otherwise it would say bacon. So you can help your students recognize when a vowel makes an unexpected sound. And I think it's good to note that the schwa sound can be kind of a uh or an i. Because you could say bacon, 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 you know, it, it's kind of a mix. So teach them to listen for the uh or the i when you wouldn't expect it. And that would be the schwa sound. The schwa is really important to teach because when students are sounding out multisyllable words, it won't sound like a real word sometimes unless you adjust the vowel. Some people call this flexing the vowel. So it's just 
kind of playing with it until you land on a real word. Finally, in my scope and sequence, we've got extra spellings like CH for school, you know, just the very uncommon spellings that you might see. And then finally, prefixes and suffixes. So that's a lot that I went through today. Just as a reminder, this is my approach. It doesn't have to be yours, but if you choose to follow it, you're going to especially love my decodable books that follow the scope and sequence. So we just released our first set of books. There are 16 of them, and they teach short vowel sounds, consonant sounds, and the basic digraphs. And we're slowly adding more. If you're part of our membership, The Measured Mom Plus, you will get each book as it's released. You won't have to wait for the whole set. And in the membership, we do give each book in all its printable options, plus the supplementary resources, the blending lines, the dictation, and so on. So do check out the membership, themeasuredmom.com forward slash membership, if you like to get your hands on my resources. But there's certainly plenty available on the main site as well, and I'll provide links to those things in the show notes for today, which you can find at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 70. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching. 